Are you looking for a great tasting, healthy breakfast cereal? Developed by naturopath and nutritionist and my good mate, Damien Christoph, Forage Cereal is 100% gluten and oat-free, with no processed sugar, preservatives or additives, made with only the highest quality ingredients, and with a range of paleo, vegan and FODMAP-friendly muesli blends, Forage Cereal is bound to make breakfast your favourite meal of the day, if it wasn't already. Well, for a limited time, only for the Wellness Couch listeners, you get 20% off all online purchases over $50. That's right, 20% off off all online purchases over $50. Visit foragecereal.com and enter the code COUCH at the checkout and save. That's www.foragecereal.com and the code COUCH, C-O-U-C-H, at the checkout to save. TheWellnessCouch.com Streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favourite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by Carol Freeman. She has a master's degree in nutrition and clinical health psychology from Bastia University. I may not have said that right. I'll find out from Carol soon. Um, And she's a Washington State certified nutritionist as well as a certified clinical hypnotherapist. She's trained at the finest schools in the country and has a mind has a full mind, body, health and wellness approach. She follows a ketogenic diet for optimal health and well-being and she's all over social media. She has a YouTube show. She's sharing lots and lots of great information. So I'm really excited to welcome to the show, Carol Freeman. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Dr. Hill, for having me. I'm My honor, my privilege. Thank you. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on board. I'm really fascinated to see where this conversation goes because obviously you've got a really interesting background uh, in terms of not just the nutrition side of things, but the psychology side of things and the hypnotherapy side of things. So uh, I think we can have a really fascinating chat and go into some really interesting areas there, which I really look forward to. But let's start with your story, Carol. How did you end up interested in nutrition and also psychology? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... I mean, I, the typical route that a lot of women go through is that, you know, they start to gain a little weight and then they start to look at all the different diets that are out there and try to figure out like, okay, so what's the secret to losing weight and keeping it off? And, you know, I have to say that after high school, I kind of went down that same road and, um, I started looking at, you know, whole foods. They just made a lot of sense to me, like eating foods as close to nature. Um, you know, the way that our ancestors ate made a lot of sense to me, but, um, you know, so I, you know, I tried different diets and losing weight and trying to figure out what would keep it off. And, um, it was just naturally progressed to be my passion. I really wanted people to be as healthy as they could be and was always searching for, you know, what was the answer? What could help them lose the weight, keep it off, um, and also be as healthy as possible. So that's, that's how I became interested in nutrition as far as, um, Um, And I guess the psychology piece of that as well is, you know, within the psychology um, (laughs) school, there was always the, the, uh, you know, we'd always joke around behind the scenes about like, well, those of us that are really interested in psychology, we really have our own psychological battles to, (laughs) to address and we've have our own challenges. And so, you know, I, you know, have a long story of my own um, issues with food and family and, you know, relationships and all that kind of stuff that, um, you know, led me down that path. But I really have always been really passionate. I, 
I didn't really see any difference between, um, you know, what we eat um, and uh, the psychology of that, right? So what we eat affects our brain, our mental health and anxiety and depression and all that, of course. Mm. And as well as, um, you know, what we think, what's going in our mind and how our mind is functioning optimally, like greatly affects what we eat. And so to me, they were greatly um, inseparable, basically, like our brain, modern um, nutrition or modern uh, medical <laughs> view looks at like our brain is a totally different separate organ from the rest of our body, but really, it's just another organ in our body. And so we can't ignore either of those. And when I found the degree that I ultimately got at, at Bastyr University, and by the way, you said it perfectly correct. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, when I found the degree that integrated, you know, both nutrition and psychology, I thought, oh, my gosh, that's like my dream degree. That's my degree. You know, like, how are they not integrated? And so I finally was able to um, pursue that and, and complete that. But it's really it's always really interesting and funny to me is, you know, after I graduated, I talked to several, you know, friends or family members or whatever, and they'd be like, Oh, that's a really interesting combination. Um, how are those even related to each other? And I think, wow, how, how, how are they not? <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds me of a quote I read once from Deepak Chopra. And uh, he said in one of his books, he'd been speaking to a friend of his who was, a, I think, a neurologist or something of that nature. And, and this person said that they didn't believe in the mind-body connection. And, uh, and Deepak, <laughs> Deepak Chopra's answer to that was, well, how do you think you wiggle your finger? <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was perfect, you know. It's this idea that they're separate is just kind of ridiculous when you really think about it. Right, right, right. Oh, my gosh. Right, yeah. It's just our modern Western medicine, right? Yeah, well, we have, we have such a reductionistic model, don't we? I mean, we're just talking on a different interview I was doing earlier this morning about, you know, how how rarely these uh, different professions actually communicate with each other. And so, you know, someone will go and see their their uh, you know oncologist for something and then they'll go see their um, you know endocrinologist for something else and they'll go see their psychologist for something else and and they can all be working in a totally uh, different way you know diagnosing a totally different problem when in actual fact you know if they could actually get together and take a more holistic view of the body then then perhaps we'd be more likely to get uh, results and and I guess ultimately figure out what the underlying problem is rather than just sort of patching up individual parts of the body Right, right. I mean, what's it going to be like when someday when medicine actually looks at, you know, the body as a whole instead of the separate specialty, you know, your pancreas is separate from your heart and separate from your brain. <laughs> Yeah, it was fascinating. I mean, and we sort of, we're slowly starting to head that way. I mean, your combination of nutrition and psychology, you know, that's that's almost becoming mainstream now. This whole gut-brain connection is, is we're finally starting to understand that. But, but the interesting thing is it's kind of, at the moment, it's like it's isolated to the gut and the brain. Like, they're the only two things that are linked. You know, we're not really recognizing that, you know, everything else is linked too. And that, you know, we need to, there's more to it than just the gut and the brain as well. Right, right, yeah. Like, uh, oh, your arms and legs are connected to the, that as well. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. So we've kind of forgotten that old, uh, you know, nursery rhyme from primary school. You know, the the leg bones connected to the. <laughs> oh, you're so right. That's funny. I haven't thought of that in a long time. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's talk a little bit about your your keto approach because keto seems to be just like the hot topic at the moment. Like it seems like everyone's talking about keto, and there's a lot of stuff going on with uh, you know different keto products and protocols and all sorts of stuff. And we might touch on some of those a little bit later too because I'd love to hear your your advice on those. But what led you down the direction of taking more of a keto approach? 
Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, you know, I had a meandering path there because like I said, I was always really passionate about helping people solve that, that mystery and that puzzle of, you know, how do you get optimal health? How do you feel really good and positive about yourself? Um, at the same time as, you know, losing weight and keeping it off. And, uh, I have to say that I came out of my, you know, world-class education, which really there's nothing else like it that combines the nutrition and psychology. But, you know, I came out with at the time and really wasn't even that long ago. It was about four years ago that I graduated with that, that, you know, we were taught that there was no reason. Actually, you should not ever encourage people to follow a restricted diet um, and that you should never encourage people to try to lose weight because it was just a fruitless endeavor. Not only that, but um, you, it was cruel and unusual punishment to try to get people to lose weight because they would always just gain more than they lost. And so instead, just embrace the bodies the way they were, all foods fit, and eat in moderation. Um, and all the while I'm following this and thinking that's the way, the best thing that I can do, um, I'm gaining weight, I'm developing metabolic syndrome, I'm, uh, you know, getting fatter and fatter <laughs> every day, and maybe not, well, probably every day, but, you know, as I go through school, and I start my practice this way, and, you know, I'm not able to give people this radical transformation that I wanted to give them, but I was still practicing what I thought was the best thing for people, and um, so... It was a car accident about three years ago now. Um, I was hit by a distracted driver. So please. Literally a car accident. Yes, literally a car accident. Like, please, please, people, I implore you, do not Facebook or text and drive. Um, It it causes serious injury to people. And I'm I'm here to tell the story now. But, you know, I was hit by somebody going about 35 miles an hour who didn't even tap on her brakes because she was so distracted by whatever she was doing. And, um, you know, I, I suffered crush injuries to my legs. I developed a chronic pain syndrome in my legs. I, um, had a mild brain injury, um, which had me bedridden and disabled for many, many months. And, um, it was, you know, seeking out all the expert healthcare that I could, and nobody could really tell me what was wrong, let alone give me any hope for recovery. And, um, so I just turned back to my own, beliefs that if you give your body what it really needs, it can heal. But I, I racked my brain. <laughs> what do I know that will heal my brain? And I thought, well, you know, I remember this briefly mentioned a ketogenic diet as something in uh, grad school that was used to treat epilepsy. And I thought, well, you know, an epilepsy is um, something that's not going right in the brain. And so perhaps I should investigate that as something that maybe will help my brain heal itself so I can just get back to transforming the health of people after I get my health back. Mm. Um, and so I started investigating and very, very quickly I started to get excited about all the symptoms I was having and a ketogenic diet as being something that could possibly um, help heal me. And uh, little did I know that it would become my passion and expertise um, very soon after that. And so just within days of of adopting a ketogenic diet, I, I, my symptoms started to go away. I was able to get my energy back and the, even 
the longer I was on it, the more surprises I got. So this chronic pain syndrome that I have in my legs, and I don't know if any of your listeners will identify with this, but I was developing something called chronic regional pain syndrome. And Mm. anybody who knows what that is, um, it is a progressive um, chronic pain syndrome that people are just disabled from, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And and if you ask the pain doctors, there's no way to recover from it. You just need to get used to being disabled the rest of your life. And you know, within days, that pain and swelling started to subside. And then all the brain issues that I was having as well started to go away. And, you know, it's pretty, um, you know, needless to say that I became very passionate about this. And the longer that I did it, the more transformation. So just inside and out. And, you know, the list of things that got better in me were you know, or so long depression went away and, you know, I lost 10 inches off my waist and got rid of my metabolic syndrome and, um, on and on and on. And all the, you know, there's so many little funny things too, that are like, what that got better too. Um, and, uh, so it's just completely transformed my own work, um, along with my own health. And, you know, there's so many uh, questions that have come up from that that bit you've just said then that I want to ask you about. But the first thing I'd love to ask you about or to- at least talk to you about is this concept of like a no-restriction diet because yeah. it seems to be coming up a lot lately and quite frankly, I think it's a ridiculous concept. Um, so, <laughs> we have so many people saying at the moment, it seems to be the kind of the vogue thing to say, oh, look, everyone's gone too far with these diets. They're getting too focused on restrictions and blah, blah, blah. Um, and and what they're saying is, well, no, you should just, you know, you just need to eat healthy food and eat everything in moderation and not have any restrictions. Yeah. And and I think it's ridiculous because all these people are doing is putting the line in a different position. You know, they're, they're still saying not to eat certain foods. You know, for example, they're not saying eat a moderate amount of arsenic you know they're not saying eat a moderate amount of mcdonald's you know they're saying what what they're actually saying in reality is that you need to have restrictions i'm just going to draw the line different to where other people are drawing the line you know which is fine and i have no problem with that but this concept of saying well i don't think we should have restrictions doesn't make any sense you know I, i think there's definitely foods that we should be eating in our diet i think there's definitely foods that we should not be eating in our diet i think there's a whole bunch of gray area there in between but this idea of saying, well, we shouldn't be having any restrictions just doesn't really make any sense to me. I, I, I'm assuming you're going to agree there, Carol. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, if I was talking to you four years ago, I would have been arguing with you until I, you know, bit my nails off. But I couldn't agree more that, you know, the if we lived back in ancestral times, right, if we yeah. lived back where we didn't have all these processed refined foods and fast foods and all this stuff, like eat all foods in moderation. That was perfect, right? We didn't need nutritionists back then. Uh, But unfortunately we live in a time where, you know, we live this highly processed refined foods that bypass our natural uh, satiety and regulation uh, parts of our brain. And, you know, if you follow any, you know, even, uh, you know, Rob Wolf's recent book, like, and everybody who who knows what they're talking about as far as neuroregulation of appetite, um, you know, we're wired and we're programmed to eat as much as possible, especially these fat and sugar um, laden foods. And, um, you know, what I experienced, and now I can see really clearly now that I'm on the other side of it is that, you know, when you're in that mode of eating those highly refined processed sugar foods, Um, your body starts going this storage mode and your insulin starts creeping up and your appetite goes up and your fatigue, uh, your fatigue goes up as well. And so, you know, all foods fit just doesn't fit. And you're absolutely right is that, you know, the only way to actually either avoid 
gaining weight or to lose weight and then actually keep it off long term is to adopt some kind of a restricted diet. Like you've got to figure out, you know, what restrictions you can live with the rest of your life. But it, it absolutely is a mandate that, you know, if you want to stay healthy and, um, you know, keep weight off is that you've got to figure out the restrictions that help you do that. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, the thing, the truth is that some foods are just flat out bad for you. You know, there, there are some yeah. things yeah. that we can all agree. I mean, you know, like trans fats, for example, you know, I, I've right. seen anyone recently arguing that trans fats are okay and that they're good <laughs> for you and should be included in part of a well-balanced diet unless it's perhaps you know, <laughs> McDonald's or Coca-Cola or something, you know. Uh, and so, you know, there's some foods that are just flat out bad for us and we're better off if we avoid them and I think that being honest and saying that is an important conversation to have rather than saying well a little bit of everything is okay yeah that's funny because uh you know you're right like that's the one thing that everybody can agree on nobody's arguing that trans fats fit you know all foods and all foods in moderation even some crisco yeah (laughs) I, I don't know what the Australian equivalent of that is but you know the hydrogenated oils and that's that's the one thing I think everybody can agree on, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, so, I can agree more. So let's talk a little bit about ketosis, Carol, for people who don't understand, because there is still, I think, a lot of confusion about ketones and ketosis and ketoacidosis, and you know exactly what those terms mean, and you know what the difference between, I guess, a dangerous you know ketoacidosis versus a you know thriving on ketones is. Right. Oh, well, I mean, ketosis by definition is just, you know, uh, if we measure in the human body and the blood, um, if we can measure ketones and that's a state of ketosis and that's just a medical definition. And, um, you know, we can build on that with, um, you know, I would say doctors Bullock and Finney have really well defined like this nutritional ketosis, which means like eating in a way that puts our body into a state of ketosis and um, for the most part, that requires um, restricting carbohydrates to each individual's tolerance, as well as um, protein. And there's different biochemical pathways that influence um, both of those and the effect on ketosis. And so we, we're, you know, we don't have the time to go into all the depth <laughs> of that, right? And um, but those are going to be the primary. Um, leverage points that people have, you know, carbohydrates and protein to tolerance as far as what it requires to get somebody in that state of ketosis. Um, And so, you know, ketosis can be achieved with, you know, starvation if you're just not eating at all. Um, If you're eating a low enough um, calorie diet, you know, so I always say like if you're stranded on a desert island, all there are is coconuts and they're really hard to get to. And, uh, you know, you could eat coconuts only and be on a ketogenic diet. It's just whatever is, you know, at a point that um, puts your body into ketosis. Um, You know, there's a difference then between like starvation ketosis and, uh, you know, nutritional ketosis, which is actually eating food in a way that puts you still in ketosis. And then you mentioned to ketoacidosis, which, uh, you know, a lot of ill-informed healthcare providers mix up those terms, yeah. right? Because, uh, you know, ketosis, ketoacidosis, um, they sound a lot the same. And, um, you know, the beginning and the ends of both of those words are exactly the same. <laughs> so, 
it makes it hard to differentiate. Aren't they the same thing? And, you know, ketoacidosis is a, uh, a dangerous state for the body to be in. And it, um, but the thing to know is that it doesn't occur in, you know, otherwise normal, healthy, functioning individuals. Um, so be, you know, keeping carbohydrates and protein at a, you know, individual's tolerance to get to ketosis. If your pancreas is functioning correctly and you're not an alcoholic, um, you have zero risk of getting to ketoacidosis. Um, the state of ketoacidosis occurs when somebody's blood sugar is high, it's too high, and their ketones at the same time are too high, their blood ketones. Um, so, you know, one of the things that a lot of people don't really know or understand is that, um, you know, our body regulates the level of ketones. It's not just this free for all that you cut carbs and all of a sudden ketones just go skyrocketing high. Um, our body uses the same regulation that it does or, you know, similar that the way it does to blood glucose is if our ketones start to go too high, our body releases insulin as a way of regulating, controlling ketones from going too high. And so, again, you know, um, you probably realize that our pancreas is what makes insulin. And so as long as our pancreas is functioning correctly, um, then it's going to release insulin when it needs to. So it keeps blood sugar from going too high. It keeps uh, ketones from going too high as well. And um, so... Most people, unless they have type 1 diabetes or they are um, binge drinking drinkers or they have um, alcoholism, they have really no risk of um, developing that. Now, there are some, you know, later stage or different versions of, um, uh, not different versions, but people with advanced type 2 diabetes that have impaired pancreatic function but for the most part again like the average person and most of the people in, around the world that are embarking on a ketogenic diet if their pancreas is working fine then they have zero risk of um, entering into ketoacidosis because their bodies program not to do that or, or nice. designed not to do that great I'm glad you've clarified that Carol so I think it's a really important point so um, who do you think ketosis is for then um, you know the, the keto diet uh, you know it seems to be something that particularly people who have um, you know who are wanting to manage their weight or people who have uh, various neurological conditions and you know there, there seems to be some stuff there that that it seems to work really particularly well for um, there seems to be a whole raft of other people who just seem to do better when they're doing more of a you know a high fat low carb diet um, do you think it's for everyone or do you think there's particular people who thrive more on this sort of a diet Oh, yeah, that is such, such a great question. And, uh, you know, like like you said, it's like a hot topic right now and everybody's jumping on the bandwagon yeah. and it's not it's not really for everybody. It's not necessary for everybody. But, you know, people start to hear like, oh, my gosh, it's the cure all. It fixes everything like I need to do keto. <laughs> and, you know, so. I, I'm, a, I'm afraid of that, actually, because we're going to get people, everybody's jumping on the bandwagon, and if it's not what they need or um, appropriate for them, and then they're going to label it as like, well, you know, keto's bad and it doesn't work because it didn't work for me. But So you're, you're right. Like, um, it, it, it's fantastic for weight loss for, for a lot of people that have really struggled. You know, that's primarily who I work with is women that, you know, they've struggled for decades with their life. They tried every diet that's out there. And they've, they've lost a lot of weight, but they've gained even more. And they're just starting to have some health problems 
with what, you know, not, I mean, they think it's their weight, but it's really the underlying metabolic disturbance and inflammation and a bunch of other things that are going on that's really the problem. And so, you know, that's a really great fit for it, right? So people with, you know, chronic pain and joint pain and inflammation, autoimmune conditions and hormonal imbalance, um, you know, coupled with um, excessive weight gain um, and struggling with being able to keep that weight off. Um, it's also it's also really good for those people that you know they otherwise um, feel healthy and their weight is is quote unquote normal, but their you know their blood sugar is starting to elevate um, year over year and they're starting to develop type type two diabetes even though their body weight is normal and you know it's a whole other discussion about like the you know, the metabolic type that, um, isn't able to store the, um, you know, the visible fat. So we wouldn't look at them and go, Oh my gosh, they're overweight, but they're because their body can't store that visible fat, they're storing fat inside their organs. And so, you know, you're probably familiar with, you know, the, the toffee, the, the, you know, the, the fat on the inside, but not on the outside. And yeah, I, um, I actually just things. went and had a visceral fat test, uh, because oh, okay. I suspected I may have been one of those people. I've, I've been someone who, uh, growing up had always been thin regardless of what I ate. And, uh, and so my suspicion is when I was younger, I was one of those people. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, more recently having been on more of a paleo diet, but but understanding that I wasn't on a particularly low carb paleo diet, you know, I'm sort of more, much more moderate carbohydrate paleo diet. I, I was really curious to see, so I went and had an ultrasound where they actually uh, checked it out and investigated it. It was really interesting. What what did they find? What well, did you, what I, did you I, find? I was I was in the uh, the lowest quarter percentile oh, in terms of okay. uh, visceral fat, so totally Nothing fine. Too- and- Good. Nothing too exciting, but maybe you'd already influenced that by your dietary change, right? My, my suspicion is yes. Yeah, I have a feeling when I was <laughs> younger, I would have been in a much higher percentile, uh, even though outwardly I probably didn't look that much different. Yeah, okay. Right, right. I'm, you know, I'm seeing that that change with people. Like I had a, a lady most recently that went through my um, a practitioner training that I was doing that, you know, by every standard, she was normal body weight, maybe even under body weight. And, um, you know, people would look at her and they think she's underweight and, you know, just in the first couple of weeks of starting, you know, but her blood sugars were being elevated and she was pre-diabetic, even though she was normal body weight. And, and she, um, you know, she lost the first couple of weeks going keto. She lost four inches off her waist and she would not have met any measure of metabolic syndrome except that slightly elevated blood sugar, but she lost four inches off of her waist. Um, and it shows just how much fat inside of her body that she was losing. But yeah, um, yeah. And I think it shows how we need to be really careful with all of the um, you know very generic measures that we have, whether it's weight, whether it's body mass index, whether it's you know all, all of those. We have these very general measures that we use and often read too much into. Um, and it's a good example, I think, of how uh, you know that they can be a poor indicator of how healthy you actually are sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I kind of jokingly, but nobody ever receives it well, talk with, with people that I'm, you know, talking about, you know, my coaching services with them about, like, they're actually really lucky if they're, over, like, they're visibly overweight. Because mm-hmm. um, that actually, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that that actually metabolically is really um, healthy for them. If their body's able to store that extra fat, um, it's protective of them. It's like their body's way of coping with that excessive stuff. And, um, whereas, 
those people that aren't able to store that extra fat, they immediately start to store it in their organs. So yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's contrary to what we've been told. And, you know, people are fat and overweight and they're unhealthy, but you know, um, you know, we have a long ways to go before we appreciate, wow, I'm so lucky that I get so fat. I've been healthy for so long because of it, right? Yeah, it was funny. I have similar conversations with people who come in to see me in the chiro- my chiropractic practice. And uh, I often talk to people about their pain and say that they're actually the lucky yeah. ones because they're in pain because yeah. so many people have spinal and neurological dysfunction. But because only 10% of your nervous system is pain, you know, many of them don't have any obvious symptoms. And so, it just sort of festers and grows and, and becomes oh. a much bigger problem than it otherwise would. Whereas, often those who have the obvious pain straight away go and do something about it and are able to resolve it before it becomes a bigger issue. And yeah. uh, so, I often have that conversation with people I practice as well, which which does get some interesting looks when I tell them they're lucky to be in pain. <laughs> they're like, you're, they think your head's on sideways, right? Yeah. Like, what well, are just, you talking about? I'm lucky. Carol, we're we're almost out of time already, but there's something I really want to ask you about before we go, um, and that is uh, these exogenous ketones that seem to be really popular right now. There there seem to be these uh, marketing happening all over the place, particularly in Australia. I'm assuming the same thing's happening in the States of these ketone products where people are saying, well, you know, you don't have to change your diet. You can just consume these ketones and, uh, and it's going to be the same thing and you're going to get all the benefits. And often they're quoting research of people who are doing a ketogenic diet and suggesting that they're going to get the results by doing these other programs. I'd love to know your thoughts on those. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm glad you're asking about this. And, you know, you and I haven't had the time to, uh, you know, to debrief and see if we're on the same page (laughs) with this. So I'm just going to share. Yeah, I'm just going to share, you know, freely my my impression of this. And um, I don't know if you're following or a fan of uh, Marty Kendall. Um, He actually is there in, I think he's in Australia. Um, he, you know, has a really great article that I send people and, uh, oh gosh, um, I, 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 um, you know, I've, I've got a review YouTube, you know, thing where I talk about this and I can, I can potentially see some benefits for some people, um, where they need to maintain an optimal amount of, uh, ketones, you know, ketones in their blood, um, but, oh gosh, where do we go with this? So, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, it's misunderstood that, you know, having ketones in your blood from an exogenous source is not the same thing as your body making them. Um, it's kind of like, um, you know, blood glucose is good. We need some, um, but adding like drinking a cup of apple juice is going to add more glucose. We understand that, that, oh wait, but glucose is good, but too much isn't a good thing. Um, we understand that. Like it's obvious that like, okay, drinking a cup of sugar because blood glucose does a lot of good things in our body. So let's just add more of them. People, we aren't at the place where most people really understand the same thing where it's like, yeah, ketones are good. It's really great if our body's making its own, but adding more, uh, you know, more, more fire to the fuel is not better. Um, in fact, um, like I mentioned earlier is that the way that our body regulates ketones from going too high is by releasing insulin. And, uh, you know, I'm of the school of thought that, you know, high blood glucose really isn't the problem with our health. It's excessive insulin production. Um, we really, the goal that I'm working with my clients is getting their insulin as, you know, as low as, as healthy and possible. Um, so adding more ketones on top of what their body's already making, only causes their body to release more insulin. Insulin is very pro-inflammatory and, um, and it causes more insulin 
resistance. So adding in more exogenous ketones on top of already following a ketogenic diet is is counterproductive. Um, it's making more inflammation, and it is doing nothing to actually encourage the body to burn more fat. Like um, it's uh, indication in the body if you, you already have a sufficient amount of ketones in your blood your body gets a signal like, well, great, we've got plenty of this fuel source. We don't need to use more fat for fuel. Let's mm. shut down um, that whole process, which is one of the primary things that insulin does. Um, so, you know, there's so much misunderstood about it. And, um, you know, if we eat in a way that produces ketones, our body's using fat for fuel and ketones are great fuel source. But the problem is, is that if you're adding more on top of that, it's not the more the better. Um, Great answer, Carol. I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm glad we did. We didn't even need to check in beforehand. We're on the same wavelength, so it was great. Um, Now, Carol, uh, people are going to be really fascinated to learn about this keto stuff and how to do it properly. And and some of them maybe have have been trying some of these other plans and thinking, well, I wonder what would happen if I tried to do it through my diet instead. Um, And one of the things you've got is a free seven-day fast and easy keto meal plan. Can you tell people a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I found one of the the key things to making keto like doable is that the meals need to be fast and easy, right? Like so many people start out on keto where they um, they download all the really complicated meal plans, they buy all the cookbooks, and they're having to order all these uh, fancy ingredients that they spend a lot of time on, you know, money on and shipping and. And then they're spending like 40 to 60 minutes trying to make each meal and these really complicated recipes. And it's just, you know, maybe it's fun and cool for a week or two, but it's just not sustainable. Like most people live their life like Hmm. they just grab and go. They need a meal that they can just grab and go. And so, you know, one of the foundations of of my keto approach is reflected in that seven-day meal plan. It's just what can you grab and go in five or ten minutes and as little cooking as possible – how can you set yourself up for success so that when you're super hungry, uh, when you're really busy and you're stressed out and, you know, you've got to take your kids to, you know, baseball or what are we coming up on season? You guys are heading into soccer and football yeah, there. Maybe. Australian rules <laughs> football season right now. My, my team yeah, lost yeah, devastatingly like, last night. I'm still recovering, Carol. Oh, no. <laughs> we Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the, you know, we've got the Seattle Seahawks up here that, that we're – you know, yeah. about six months out of their season. But anyways, yeah. So, um, um, yeah, I mean, I've just found it's really essential for people to be able to figure out how to do keto in a really fast and easy way. And not only simple, easy meals, but structured in a way that's a way people think about food. Like I talk to so many people that get, you know, stressed out and frustrated by like, okay, I did this keto calculator. It says I have to have 5% carbs and uh, 15% protein. And I don't know if the math is right here, but like 70% <laughs> fat. Like, what is that? How is that a meal? Like, how do I what even that do that? Like? So, yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I teach them how do you do it in a way that you actually think about food. It's really simple and easy. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, that's refreshing. Like, yeah, 70% fat makes no sense. But adding two tablespoons of butter, I can get behind that. So Yeah, well, you know, I'm hungry right now, Carol. So I'm about to go and have some bacon, some eggs, some avocados and some spinach. So I'm sure you'd approve of that one. That's not bad. That, so That sounds delicious. I've, <laughs> I, I've come right over except we're, you know, half a, yeah, half a world away Just a little other. while away. I'll, I'll start cooking now and, you know, by the time you get here, it'll be stone cold. But that's okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> now, Carol, people want to find out more about you. Uh, so they can obviously head to your website, which is ketocarol.com. And that's... Uh, 
Carol with an E on the end. So it's K-E-T-O-C-A-R-O-L-E.com. Um, they can find you on social media, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all at Keto Carol with an E on the end. Um, and you also offer a free 60-minute keto consult. So if they want to um, have a chat to you and, and get some real solutions there and, and really delve in deeper, they can obviously do that as well and, and no doubt find out all the details about that on your website too. So thank you so much for coming on board today, Carol. Oh, Dr. Hill, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me and um, I it's been very fun. <laughs> Great. So for everyone else, until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.